0: Welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers. This is part three of The Devil Comes Knocking. If you haven't listened to the first two parts, stop right here and go listen to those first. If you're all caught up, then pour yourself a Shandy or Green Demon and settle in for the ending to the true story of The Exorcist. Today we have a special guest with us, uh, AJ French. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're drinking today?
1: So I am a purist when it comes to drinks and I am drinking uh, just straight Blantons with one big piece of ice. It is a bourbon from uh, Kentucky. It is my favorite drink. I have a brewery friend and I used to brew beer. And drinking a Shandy is um, almost sinful in a good Catholic mind. <laughs> so you just don't make stuff with beer. Um, the Green Demon sounds really delicious. I just did not get time to actually get the stuff together. So I poured shot and a half of my good old Blantons and I have a big cube of ice in it. And that's what I'm sipping on.
0: Sounds like a pretty good Sunday drink to me.
1: <laughs> Indeed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sounds better than a Shandy.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a low bar to get over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we are going to be shameful and have a Shandy because I don't feel like a green <laughs> demon quite yet today, but we had one la- um, Bud Light left, so we're going to have our Shandy M&I here. Sorry, we're pouring. At least we're not ruining like super good beer. Yeah. Just that Bud is left. very,
1: very true. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> can
0: be replaced. Awesome. Well, we're really happy that you joined us today. You're our first you. official guest, which is super exciting.
1: I am honored. Thank you very much for having me.
0: little background, um, AJ was the one that suggested we do the Exorcist story, and that's why we are including him in our foray here.
1: I was unaware it was going to be three parts, which is awesome, but uh, I am born and raised Catholic, and it's something near and dear to my heart. I am also very much a believer in all this. Um, so my Catholic upbringing, I still have St. Michael around my neck because I'm a police officer and he's our patron saint. Um, I will never take it off and stuff like this, especially Ouija boards. I know we touched on it in previous episodes. I will never have a Ouija board in my house. Just It does not happen.
0: We have one. Sorry. I'm but, not um, coming over. <laughs> yeah. We've only used it once and it was a pretty um, interesting experience. Emma and I are going to talk about it one day. But um, yeah, it was it was a little bit heavy. And um, I actually kind of scary, but we haven't touched it since. We'll just say that. Yeah, we have not.
1: <laughs> Don't blame you.
0: Yeah. But. All right. So we have all of our drinks, um, some really awesome bourbon with one cube of ice and two not quite as Wildlife awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to go ahead and get back into the true story of The Exorcist as told by Father Raymond Bishop. And. We left off with Roland Doe and his family getting on a train or getting ready to get on a train to return to Washington, D.C. He was with his mom, dad, Father Bowdern, and Father Van Rue. And the diary picks up with a list of the Jesuits who have professed to have seen Roland under possession, which adds a little bit of credence to the story and a little more believability where you have these people who were willing to say, yeah, no, I saw this. This was real. And those people were the following fathers. Um, and I'm going to probably butcher this guy's name because it's very German and I am not. Um, George Bishopberger, something like that. Bishopberger. Bishopberger. Raymond Bishop, Joseph Boland, William Bowdern, Edmer, Edmund Burke. Emma, you say this was clarity. <laughs> <Flaherty. laughs> and William Van Rue. Uh, that says Van Robert. That's not true. Uh, Mr. Walter Halloran and Professor Albert Schell. So these are all the people that said, yep, 100% this happened. So the train ride on Monday, April 4th was mostly without incident. They said there was one small spell of violence around 1130 p.m. when Roland went to bed, which we have seen in the past episodes that seems like nighttime really was the most active time for the devil to make his appearance and start acting a fool. On Tuesday, April 5th, Roland awoke normally on the train and was taken to his home in Maryland without any mishaps. Father Bowdern met with Father Hughes and found that he had been given permission from the Archdiocese of Washington to go ahead and continue with the exorcism while they were there. However, due to lack of space at any churches in Roland's parish, Roland had to remain at home. And like we talked about before on the past episode, It was really putting a strain on the family and all those involved with Roland having to go through this all the time. They were exhausted. It was just a lot. Let alone having to do it in your house. It's like you don't get a break. Right. The fathers even tried to get Roland a room at several of the hospitals nearby, but due to the nature of the case, no one was willing to accept him. And I can't say that I blame a hospital for not wanting to have an exorcist Um, exorcism happening in your hospital with normal sick people it seems a little bit much to me what about you guys you want to be in the hospital next to somebody full on possessed
1: (laughs) I don't even want to be near the house here in St. Louis where all this (laughs) happened so yeah I do not blame any of the hospitals for for not accepting them
0: yeah we can talk about that later but do you know where the house is
1: I do I know exactly where it is I've driven by it and I am not setting foot in it it is in Bel
0: we're going to put a pin in that one to come back to after we've done this
1: story (laughs) Sure.
0: That. I would like to drive by. Okay, on Wednesday, April sixth, fathers Bowdern and Hughes drove to Baltimore to inquire about a room at an undisclosed institute that was run by the Daughters of Charity. They were willing to take Roland in, but the doctors objected since the case was not psychiatric, and furthermore, since all hospital dependents in the state of Maryland had to be accounted for in the records, and the hospital thought that this would cause like a scandal to include an exorcism patient in the records. And I think I have to agree with them. Mm -hmm. All of these setbacks resulted in Father Bowdern deciding to call his devoted friends again at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis. And when he called them, he was assured that Roland would have a place and they could come back anytime they wanted. Thankfully, Roland was normal during the day and most of the day the next day. However, that didn't last. And then, the evening of Thursday, April 7th, he had a spell that lasted for five hours, and this was from 9.15 p.m. to 2.15 a.m. My God. Yeah, it it's like long. way longer than usual. Yeah, the devil was really starting to fight and try and make... He didn't want to be evicted, so, so let's party <laughs> for five hours. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. And during this time that Roland had his spell or episode, he had the following things occur. And this was while he was awake, this part. He was branded at least 20 times. Many of them were um, when they said the first name of the Jesuits, as Roland said, the Hail Mary. The first mark was clearly a number four. Other marks were a single line, a double line, a pitchfork. So the rumors are true. The devil does have a pitchfork. Four strokes or claw marks of various lengths on his belly or legs. One set of the claw marks were from his thigh to his ankle and actually tore off a scab near the ankle. When all of these brandings and markings um, were done, it was during a time when Roland did not have his hands anywhere near his body, so they know that he wasn't doing it. One branding occurred on his leg just as he started to lie down after the preceding mark had been observed. Most of the branding occurred under his clothing, or at least under the sheet covering him. Do you know, you probably don't know this, but like
2: when I hear the word branding, I think of like, burning something into flesh to where it scars and like it doesn't go away when they're using it in this context are they just like scratches that i'm assuming went away with a little bit of time
0: yeah i think they're using the word branding and marking interchangeably okay yeah so
1: my understanding is it imagine a a cat claw from under your skin Mm -hmm. pushing up causing that branding Um, that's the way i understand it Somewhere. I also want to oh I want to talk about the pitchfork because that's something in Catholicism we talk about a little bit mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't say the devil has a pitchfork it's the devil has a forked tongue meaning he's uh-huh. the he's the king of liars he knows mm-hmm. how to fool people um, so the pitchfork was probably more of a reference to the forked tongue of the devil not necessarily carrying an actual pitchfork
0: Gotcha so it's not like the little red guy with the pitchfork
1: <laughs> Exa- I mean it could be I haven't met him yet but <laughs>
0: yeah. well, let's hope you don't exactly yeah. There were also many instances of spitting and violence. We talked about that before. Um, And the ones that always scared the most, he was singing and humming um, songs, such as the Ave Maria. uh, And also doing what the priest described as filthy talk. And priests were really prudent about not putting a whole lot of um, the swear words down. They were very careful, because I'm sure, you know, being a priest, you have to keep it. Kind of PG. We heard some of the things he was saying in the last episode, so I have to assume that they're pretty yeah. much the same. It doesn't get much better. There's some more things at the bottom. Um, writing on his own body with fingernails, the word "Hell and Christ. There, there were a few times when Roland was actually writing on his self. Through Roland, the devil said he would keep the priest present until 6 a.m. He made this statement at 2 a.m. when everyone was exhausted. And Roland fell into a sleep around 2.15 The priest noted that whenever Roland had been completely possessed, God permitted him to then go into a sound sleep to recover. So there was lots of talk about how God's presence was becoming a lot stronger during the end. And Roland was getting a lot more times of actual relaxation and sleep, um, which I find very comforting because the scariest thing about this story, I think, is that you're completely at the mercy of the devil. And this gives me a lot of hope that there's the good coming through. On Friday, April 8th, Roland again had a normal day, but the night brought about, oh wait, hold on, yeah, another five-hour session. I thought I went back in time. Roland was alone in the bathroom when things began. Quickly, it turned into two and a quarter hours of great physical violence, a half-hour crying, more violence, spitting, nonsense jumbling of Latin questions, singing Blue Danube, Ave Maria, and so on. There was also filthy talk and movements and filthy attacks on those at the bedside regarding masturbation, contraceptives, and sexual relations between priests and the nuns. So the devil had some jokes. Father Hughes and Canning arrived with the Blessed Sacrament at 11 p.m., and the house was blessed by Father Hughes. During this time, Roland threw pillows twice in the direction of the Blessed Sacrament. They tried to give him a sedative, but he spat it out repeatedly until they were finally able to get him to swallow it. And all of this resulted in the next day being completely normal for Roland. On Sunday, April 10th, Roland returned to St. Louis and was sent immediately to the Alexian brothers, where he was taken by the brothers into one of their private living rooms for the day. Fathers Bowdern of Flaherty. Did I do it right? You did. (laughs) Okay. Van Rue and Bishop arrived at the hospital shortly after 7 p.m. and went to the fifth floor where Roland was staying. While there, they complained the exorcism and several. They completed the exorcism <laughs> I'm and several. Sure they were complaining as well. <laughs> yeah. I would be. And several rosaries, but no disturbances or spells occurred. And actually, M and I had talked about this when I was doing it. It almost kind of seems like the devil's trying to hide a little bit at
1: mm-hmm. this point.
0: And I don't know if that was because he was trying to make sure he got to stay, and so trying to keep his presence not quite as known. Anybody have any thoughts on that? I think he's was being clever. Uh, yeah, I still think so. Especially, I mean,
2: we can already tell that whatever it is, I don't know if it's the devil, but whatever it is, is very sentient and aware yeah. and knows of its surroundings at any given time. Because, like, we saw him force Roland to, like, try to grab a steering wheel. So it mm-hmm. clearly knew that it, he was in the car at that moment. Right. So I feel like, yeah, he's probably trying to make him look crazy from the outside, too. Yeah, probably. Yeah.
1: They have this saying, the saying, great, the greatest trick the ever devil ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist. And that's what mm-hmm. he's doing there, in my personal opinion.
0: Yeah, um, I think so, too. Uh, Roland went to sleep around 11 p.m., but the fathers decided to wake him after midnight so they could give him Holy Communion. Roland was so exhausted that it was almost impossible to keep him awake for longer than a few minutes at a, or a few seconds at a time. At this time, the fathers were planning to abandon the, and it said experiment. And it was in quotes because Roland was behaving in such a normal manner and was able to receive communion without any special efforts on their part. So I think that goes back to what we were saying that, they were ready to be like, oh, things are fine. And I think that was the whole purpose of the devil was to try and get them to stop so he could stay in the body of Roland. Yep. On Monday, April 11th, I'm going to have to take a drink. <laughs> I'm still having some of these lingering effects from being sick, so my voice and stuff are not quite back. 100%. Okay, on Monday, April 11th, Brother Emmett decided to keep Roland busy throughout the day with manual labor on the hospital floor. During this time, he and Roland forged a friendship which greatly helped with Roland's psychiatric condition. Fathers and Van Roo, Bishop, and Mr. Halloran arrived at the hospital at 8 p.m. Father Bishop brought Roland some Catholic readers and stories so that you have more to do than just his catech- read his catechisms for study. And Roland went to bed at 9 p.m. At this time, the exorcism was completed for the night. Everyone believed the evening would be quiet, but while the fathers were reciting the rosary, Roland felt a sting upon his chest. Upon examination, a blotch of red was observed, and they continued the rosary. Roland was then struck more sharply with the branding on his chest. The letters were in caps and read in the direction of Roland's crotch, exit. On another branding, a large arrow followed up the words, exit, and pointed to Roland's pedis. The word exit appeared at three different times in different parts of Roland's body, and he felt terrible pain in his kidneys and penis. He cried several times from the burning sensations. When he urinated, he complained even more of severe pain. Doesn't sound like a good day. At midnight, the fathers once again planned to give Roland Holy Communion, but Satan would not have any part of it. Even when the institution of the Blessed Sacrament was explained to Roland, his body was badly scratched and branded, the word hell was printed on his chest and thigh. Upon the explanation of the apostles becoming priests, you're going to have to explain that because I don't know what that means. Do you know, AJ?
1: I can look it up. I don't know exactly what that means. Okay.
0: I think maybe they're just trying to telling like some biblical story that had some reference upon the explanation of the apostles becoming priests and receiving the Lord at the last supper scratches appeared from Roland's hips to his ankles again in heavy lines. This all seemed to be in protest of the Holy Communion. When Father Bowdern attempted to give Roland a small particle of the sacred host, the boy was taken off by a quick seizure, and the devil said that he would not allow the boy to receive. After five attempts, it was thought that a spiritual communion would have to suffice. But even the expression of the words, I want to receive you in Holy Communion, was cut off by a seizure at the word communion. From all further indications during this evening, it seemed that the attempts to administer the sacrament of the Eucharist roused the devil more than ordinarily. He went through his usual routine of fighting, barking, cursing, swearing, and spitting, but kept on longer than usual. There was no quiet sleep despite the constant prayer of the priest. So things are really, really ramping up at this point. The next day on Tuesday, April 12th, action began immediately after the exorcism prayers were started. During the general recitation of the rosary by the Alexian brothers, the regular performance of the devil began. But this time there was no writing on Roland's body. The noise and singing were disturbing to everyone, and Roland gave no response to the, is it precipio, except to imitate and mock the Latin words, then laugh or say, stick it up your ass. So, he's getting salty again. (laughs) One new phrase tonight was the display of the devil's power of the senses and external personality of Roland. In one instance, the devil said he would have Roland awaken and the boy would be pleasant and attractive. His promise was made true. A few minutes later, the devil said he would have Roland awaken and he would be offensive. True to his promise, Roland came out of the spell very irritable, and he complained quite bitterly to those who held him. Several several attempts were made to give Roland Holy Communion after midnight, but each trial was unsuccessful. The devil showed definitely that he was not Roland speaking when he said, I will not let Roland receive Holy Communion. It was about 1.30 a.m. before he was able to go to sleep quietly. On Wednesday, April 13th, Roland received Holy Communion upon rising in the morning. This was able to be carried out without encountering any difficulty. And during the afternoon, Roland was taken out to the White House retreat house and shown the chapel there. So he got like a little field trip. As well as the Stations of the Cross. I was unfamiliar with the Stations of the Cross, but from what I could figure, there were 14 different stations that had like crosses, anybody familiar with this at all? So the stations of the
1: cross, they're basically um, the story of Jesus being led to his crucifixion site. Um, And when he fell, when he fell the second time, when he fell the third time, who picked him up, who was there, um, all the different stations are just depicting him carrying the cross to his crucifixion site. Um, Catholics pray at them, um, each station that should be around the church somewhere.
0: Okay, cool. Is that similar to, like, when people take pilgr- pilgrimages to, like...
1: Um, a smaller a version of it, yeah. Okay,
0: but just local, like, in the United States. Exactly. Cool. Thanks for explaining, because I, I didn't dive as deep as I should have on some of these things. At the 14th station, when Roland was farthest away from the cross, he went into a spell and had to be carried back... Actually, I guess it, when he was closest. He had to be carried back to the car. The seizure lasted about 20 minutes. In the evening, Roland was ready for bed at eight forty-five p.m. He was bright and cheerful and played with some of the trick gadgets that the fa- that Father McCannit- McManon McMahon. Oh my Jeez, gosh! I know. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> Sometimes so I get going too fast and this slow down. Work. See what the abuse have to put up <laughs> As he sat on the bed and before his prayers were begun, Roland went off into a quick but violent seizure. It seemed to the exorcist that this would be an important evening. Roland spoke almost immediately and said that God had commanded him to leave at 11 o'clock. So he's speaking as the devil. But that he would not be leaving without a struggle. He proved the latter part of his promise by showing relatively more physical power than any other previous night. He stayed in his first spell for 20 minutes while Father Bowdern worked on the exorcism and the brothers prayed the rosary in honor of Our Lady of Fatima. Is she a pretty important lady because she's mentioned it's, a lot? It's
1: Our Lady of Fatima. Fatima, <laughs> okay,
0: thank you. <laughs> yeah, she's
1: she's one uh, one of the saints, yeah.
0: Okay. During the precipio, Precipio, precipio. precipio. oh my God, I'm just going to quit. <laughs> Y'all can take over. Here we go, Emma.
2: During the precipio,
0: take it away. No, go ahead. <laughs> Father Bowdern had always been insistent on getting responses in Latin and he kept up his demands. Is that important, like, is speaking Latin?
1: It's the closest to um, Aramaic, which was the, the, I guess, language of Jesus. Um, So it has more power than speaking it in German or English or whatever.
0: Okay. So up until this point, they wanted him to respond in Latin, and they kept making those demands, but the devil ignored the command and answered in Pig Latin, which (laughs) I laughed really hard when I read that, because it seems a little... um, I don't, too human to do something like that, really weird. I don't like that. Uh, Yeah. Um, The devil also playfully imitated the commands or used the command, uh, the common expression, stick it up your ass, which would become one of his favorites. And then at one point, he even began singing the words, stick it up, stick it up. In no instance up to this point in the case had the devil answered in Latin, although his imitation of Latin was clear and distinct so they knew that he could do it he was just absolutely refusing to do so there was also lots more filthy talk and damning threats to those at the bedside and they continued as they had in previous evenings a new thing this evening was the loud shouting of fire so he's just lying in bed just randomly shouting fire which i'm sure is not good in a hospital mm-hmm. <laughs> At 1045, Roland began to imitate the sound of a large church bell sounding out the 11 o'clock hour. He sustained the ing sound at the end of the word bong. After 11 p.m., the same cathedral bell sounds were repeated, but it was very evident that the devil had deceived everyone by his first remark of the evening. After midnight, unsuccessful attempts were made again to give Roland Holy Communion. Satan said again that he would not permit Holy Communion, and he laughed at each of the attempts. Roland could not repeat the word communion. Before he went into each spell, um, he was not able to do that. The Alexian brothers had prayed valiantly for several hours around midnight, and they completed more than says fifty decades of the rosary, so I don't know what that means. Is it just fifty rounds? Okay. Fifty rounds of the rosary, and their prayerful assistance was worthy of the highest comment. Round-the-clock adoration of the blessed sacrament was begun by the brothers on Monday or Tuesday evening. And so it was pretty, um, pretty in-depth. They were really going at it hard trying to get the devil out of Roland. And anybody have anything you want to add here real quick before we take a break? Any, any exciting takeaways? I just want
2: to talk about how long this whole process of exorcism has been. Yeah. It's just like day after day. It has to be horrible for it. Like, yeah, I'm sure Roland and his family are exhausted too, but these poor like priests too, that's all they've been doing for like two weeks. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, it. that's an interesting point is that every one of these priests still had to maintain their still priestly duties. They right. would still have to go to church and give mass, give communion, do last rites, all the stuff that priests do during the day they would do. And they'd stay up all night with this until three in the morning. So it had it to take a toll really
2: mentally taxing too. to Absolutely. Like, witness all of this happen and kind of feel like what you're doing all of these days isn't really working much like that has to be like, exhausting.
0: I would think so. I, and I mean, like you said, they're still doing their daily things. I don't know how they had the strength to do any of that at all. I can Agreed. barely get through my day, and I'm not trying to cast the devil outside of somebody's body. So, not only that, but they're like following them like state to state. Yeah. And they weren't. I mean, young, like fresh out of the priesthood training. <laughs> priest. These are some old dudes, boot camp for I don't know the word. <laughs> I. I mean, I'm not going to make up a word. So, okay, we're going to take a quick little break, and we will be right back. And we are back. Thanks for taking a little TV time out, radio timeout with us. So the following things all happen from Holy Thursday through holy saturday so that would have been april 14th through 16th during this time roland received holy communion from the hospital chaplain father Woodman, on thursday morning the fathers arrived for prayers of exorcism in the evening and the rosary was continued by the brothers there were no reactions before after midnight on thursday the fathers were informed this night that the brother brother rector purchased a new statue of our lady of Fatima did I do it right that time (laughs)
1: nice
0: okay (laughs) and had it placed in a conspicuous spot on the first floor corridor of the hospital so they're kind of trying to bring out some big guns here it was dedicated to the Blessed Virgin with the petition that Our Lady of Fatima would intercede for Roland during his ordeal the brothers promised communion community devotions to Our Lady of Fatima should Roland be spared from further affliction so I took this to be kind of like they were Trying to make deals with God. Like, hey, like mm-hmm, if you do this, we'll do this kind of thing. No disturbances of any sort occurred on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, or Holy Saturday. Roland listened attentively to the Treore services broadcast over W-W. WEW on Good Friday. So he had, a pretty good, he had a pretty good little spell for three days. On Holy Saturday, Brother Rector brought Bought a small, colorful statue of Saint Michael, the Arch- archangel. The statue was placed in Roland's room. It should be remarked here that one of the most effective prayers of exorcism was a dedica- dedication to Saint Michael. Is he a pretty important saint?
1: So, Saint Michael was the angel that was called upon to cast out Lucifer when Lucifer, the devil was a fallen angel. So, basically, what happened in, in heaven was. There's a factor of angels that thought they were better than God, Lucifer leading them. And God called upon St. Michael to cast him out um, to the pits of hell, and he became the devil. And St. Michael, basically, he's God's badass. He's God's police officer. Um, And that's why we have adopted him as the patron saint of law enforcement. But anything to do with the devil is basically St. Michael and the devil fighting before. And the devil has to beat St. Michael to get to God, and that's never going to happen.
0: Gotcha. So it's like the ultimate steel cage match with a bodyguard.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Very cool. Okay. After midnight on Saturday, arrangements were made that Roland should attend the second mass in the Brothers Chapel on Easter morning. Finally, Easter Sunday comes around and Father Woodman, the hospital chaplain, made three unsuccessful attempts to give Roland the Holy Communion in his room. After some waiting and, this part gets me, slapping of Roland, (laughs) (laughs) They're not played at this point. They've had enough. They're bitch slapping him. They're done. <laughs> so casual. <laughs> yeah. I was like slapping him. What is happening? <laughs> They're like, okay, we're gonna wait. At this point, we're gonna slap the shit out
1: of him. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Emma, I thought you were gonna say that's so Catholic? <laughs> you said that's so <laughs> casual, <laughs> but it Catholic's like corporal punishment's normal. If you're in Catholic school <laughs> back in the day, it's like you get wrapped by a, a nun with her ruler on your knuckles when you're doing something wrong. So. Yeah.
0: yeah, I feel like though, I pictured it like this kid sitting in bed and the priest smacking him across the face saying, eat the bread! Eat the bread! <laughs> he like, oh, and he's like, no! So, after some waiting and slapping of Roland, the fourth attempt was successful. I'm sure it was, because Roland wasn't getting beat up anymore. Brother Theopane, Theopane, man, I'm just down today. I got, COVID, I, got, I got COVID brain. I can't help it. Um, who was on nurse duty in Roland's room was reading The Office of the Blessed Virgin. It was about 6.45 a.m. when he came to the Emma, you do that Regina, one. Kaylee, Kali. Sounds good. At this point, Roland jumped out of bed, grabbed the office book from the brother and reached for the scapular from the brother's habit, which was placed on a nearby chair. Roland fought and spit at the brother and trampled the scapular underfoot in a war dance. I had to do some editing there because it was not very PC. (laughs) The devil said, I will not let him go to mass. Everyone thinks it will be good for him. So the devil knows if he goes to mass, it's probably going to be the end for him. Mm -hmm. It was impossible to get Roland to the chapel because of his frequent seizures. Father Bowdern was called to the hospital and shortly after his arrival, the spell on Roland was broken. There was no further reaction until evening. In the evening, Roland was spending a little time with the brothers outside the hospital. Brother Emmett was escorting Roland back to the basement floor when Roland went into a fighting spell. The brother was alone and shouted for help, but it was some time before the other brothers heard his cries. By the time they arrived, Brother Emmett was quite exhausted from the struggle. Roland was carried into the elevator and placed in his fifth floor room. So the poor guy's outside. When Roland, they're having a good day, and all of a sudden, he's just (laughs) beat up. Poor guys are really going through it. The fathers immediately began the prayers of exorcism, and the usual indications of violence continued. The devil showed his power again by saying that he would have Roland awaken and ask for a knife. This part got a little... Murky here. He had threatened to kill those who molested him while in his seizure. And I believe that is meant to be like the people who were trying to perform the rites of exorcism, not like we use the word molested today.
2: Right.
0: When Roland came out of the spell, he asked for a knife so that he could cut an Easter egg, which is an odd request. A little later, the devil said that he would have Roland awaken and ask for a drink of water. This too was carried out. So you've got the devil really trying to show his power. Which I think goes back to just the um, general—I guess I'm trying to think of the right word. I'm ego of the devil. Like he really Mm -hmm. wants people to know how powerful he is. What does it mean to cut an Easter egg? He wanted to cut it, like cut an egg in half, like a probably a hard-boiled egg. It was just the (laughs) just the fact that he the devil wanted to show that he would make a mess for the knife. Oh yeah, yeah. In any way. Mm -hmm. There was no response to the press. Precipio. Principio. Insect, <laughs> taunting remarks to the exorcist. Everyone, including Roland, was becoming weary of the long performance. Roland did not begin to sleep until midnight, and the fathers left the hospital at 12.45 a.m. I normally can pronounce a lot better, but you know how when you say something wrong so many times, then you just, it's not ever going to happen again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, so I'm just going to. Okay. Yesterday,
2: my dad learned that the word archetype was a word for the first time in his life. <laughs> He pronounced it archetype out loud. There was like a beer called archetype and he pronounced it archetype and I corrected him. And he was like, I've never heard that in my life.
1: Mind blown.
0: That's why you
2: guys are married.
0: There was a lot of disappointment. <laughs> There's a lot of disappointment at that dinner. <laughs> <laughs> On Monday, April 18th at 8 A.M., Roland awoke in a spell, kicking at the brother at the bedside. He jumped out of the bed, seized the holy water bottle, threatened to throw it at the brothers then sprinkled water toward them. Finally, he threw the bottle over their heads, smashing it against the ceiling. At 8.15 a.m., Father Woodman attempted to give rolling communion, but it was impossible due to the spitting. It was even impossible to make spiritual communion. Eventually, they were able to make one spiritual communion, but the devil seized him and said that one devil was out. So we've talked before, there were multiple spirits inside. So why are they um, all referred to as devils? Is that just a- So that's a
1: generic term for any, any demon from hell, okay. so to speak. There's Actually, a, there was three different, um, when I spoke earlier about the devil being cast out, there's actually a third of the angels in heaven followed Lucifer, a third followed God, and a third refused to pick a side. So when Lucifer was cast out, he actually brought a third of the angels with him to hell.
0: So what about the people who are just standing on the Switzerland line about non-committal? <laughs> they just stay in heaven.
1: Uh, no. Watch the watch the movie Dogma, and you'll understand. Okay. Um, they oh, yeah. were. That's where the theory of purgatory comes in. They're just in limbo.
0: Gotcha. I love the movie Dogma. Is an Alanis Morissette. So she is God. Yeah, yeah. She is God. <laughs> it was during during a time when you could argue that Alanis was kind of the god of. Gr- grudge music at that point all right let me get back i find my things here okay so the devil said that there was one devil out and that roland would have to make nine communions and then he would leave his body later it became evident to them that they could be either spiritual or sacramental communions they were both equally effective roland continued for an hour unable to make spiritual communion or to receive the sacrament At 10 a.m., there were more spells when attempting spiritual communion. Roland was able to say, I wish to receive you. The priest did not ask him to say anything more since he felt that that was sufficient enough. But the devil laughed and said, that isn't enough. He has to say one more word, one little word. I mean, one big word. He'll never say it. He has to make nine communions. He'll never say that word. I am always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. And then there were several more spells of violence, singing and um, lots of urination followed. And remember the words exit and things like that. So they were kind of thinking the urination was more devils and demons escaping him. I, when I was reading that part, when they said that um, the devil said he will always be in him, I wondered if that was like even them saying after this was done, there would always be a little part of him inside, which I think is really scary. Well, I mean,
2: even if, like, there's not, like, a physical, whatever, he's not, like, physically inside of him, this is going to be a core memory of his life for <laughs> yeah. yeah, a very long time that probably resulted in a good portion of trauma. So Definitely needs probably, therapy. Yeah, I
0: it definitely needs therapy. I guess I took it a little more literally, but who knows. At 1130 a.m., Roland said he was hungry and wanted a bath and food. They put him off until noon, and then they gave him a tray with cake, ice cream, and milk. which Sounds pretty yummy. He threw the glass against the wall, scattering broken glass all over. And then there was intermittent violence until about 1.30 p.m. Roland was very discouraged and also disgusted and mean. I can imagine that he's probably done. This is like we're seeing it happen early now. Yeah, in the yeah. daytime. So it's, like, infiltrating into, like, every aspect of the day. Mm-hmm. In the afternoon, the brothers brought Roland a serving of chipped beef and arranged his tray on a little table in his room. I've had chipped beef, didn't like it. (laughs) Roland picked up the plate and ran over to the window, held the plate in an almost perpendicular manner in his palm, and dared the brothers to step closer, really taunting everybody. One of the brothers crawled, this scene just plays out kind of funny. One of the brothers crawled under the bed to catch Roland and his feet. So you got one priest crawling under the bed, the other circled the bed to restrain roland's arms but the plate was fired mightily against the opposite wall no one was hurt but the plate was broken to bits on the trip to the hospital on this evening the fathers had decided that in the precipio, <laughs> father bowdern would ask for the responses in english moreover the medals were to be left on roland in spite of his protest to the contrary Something, there was something redacted here and I couldn't quite piece together what they were thinking, but I, what they're saying, but I think they were saying that they put like a rosary or cross in his hand when he was under his spells. This was discussed and decided to be carried out because of the information gathered from the reading concerning several other possession cases. So the fathers did a little research and found that other people were having success by doing these things, by giving him a rosary or a cross and by asking for the response in English. Father Bowdern, you're up. You want to mock me? Oh, Flaherty. I'm not <laughs> mocking you. It's just like <laughs> such an easy name to I say. I know. And Bishop arrived at the hospital at 7 p.m. So it's been a really long day. It started about 10 a.m., remember. Father Van Ru Roo- with Roland during the greater part of the day, but was relieved by the brothers shortly before the evening meal. They're taking shifts. Roland asked to telephone his mother, but on his way to the telephone, he went into a spell and had to be carried back to his room. He appeared to be in a fighting mood. Father Bowdern read the rite of exorcism quietly. When he came to the words, AJ, do you know these words? No,
1: that's Latin. That's all you do. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) He said some Latin words. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. And blessed Roland with the signs of the cross. Roland repeated the words perfectly and asked their meaning. Several times later, he repeated the Latin. The signs of the cross and the crucifix were very effective. Roland fought hard when the crucifix was forced into his hand, and in one instance, threw it out. Next, Father Flaherty began. Oh my God! Ladder- oh my that God. word is kicking it your is, ass. It really is. <laughs> Began teaching Roland the first half of the Ave Maria in Latin. The Ave Maria is that a prayer or a song?
1: It's a song to okay. uh, for Virgin Mary. <laughs>
0: That's what I thought. Oh yeah, the one that they see Catalina. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. at this point, expressed a real interest in learning Latin. All of a sudden, and they said that in the space of fifteen minutes, he was able to recite a good portion of the prayer unassisted. So that's pretty remarkable, and I think shows that he's got some divine intervention going on, Mm -hmm. their power helping out. After the memory lesson, Father of told Roland the complete story of Our Lady of Fatima. He's got that one. To which Roland paid strict attention. A little later, he asked for a Catholic reader, which contained eighth grade prose and poetry. And then he thumbed through several stories as he sat in bed. (laughs) Finally, in a boyish way, he took to balancing the book on his knees and on his head. So they're seeing like little peaks of, the real Roland starting to come back, which is really good. Roland went into a spell while he had the, held the book on his knees and immediately the book was thrown into a corner of the room. From 9.30 until 10 p.m., Roland was in and out of seizures. I'm going to take a little sip. Drink break. How's your bourbon over there?
1: Almost gone. oh
0: Feel free to refill your cup if you're feeling not, fine. N- not a problem. Roland was more cooperative this night than he had ever been. He felt that he had to pray whenever he was out of his seizures, and he asked to make spiritual communion on his own. Whenever he became normal, he reverted to prayer. He stated several times that he saw more light each time he went into a spell, and the light seemed to be at the end of a dark tunnel. So there might be some truth to that light at the end of the tunnel. Roland complained several times that the metals on his neck were hot, and he asked that they be removed but the medals were not taken off. Father Battern forced a small, is it relic, relic How do we say that? Helicory? Relicory? Relicory? Yeah. I don't know. Something with relics. He, yeah. Mm-hmm. Forced a small crucifix into Roland's hand when he was in a spell. The reaction to the medals in the cross were exceptional. When Father Woodman blessed Roland with his ordinary crucifix and asked Roland to kiss the image, Roland went into a spell. So we are getting close to the end here. During all the above-mentioned seizures, Father Bowder continued the... You need to learn that word. I'm not saying it again. (laughs) The precipio. Precipio. I don't know, and asked for the response to be given in English. This was a change from the regular routine. In the commands up to this time, Latin had been demanded. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but they reiterated here. The devil, in one instance, on March 31st, had written that the priests were requesting Latin answers and that he uses the language of English when possessed. While Father Bowdern used the... Do it. You do it. Take it away. You're an adult. Precipio. Father Bishop repeated the exorcism prayers over and over again. At 1045 p.m., the most striking event of the evening occurred. Roland was in a seizure but lay calmly. In clear, commanding tones and with dignity, a voice broke into the prayers. Here's your boy coming in. Yeah. The following is a complete and accurate quote. Satan, Satan... I am Saint Michael and I command you, Satan, and all the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus immediately. Now, now, now. Then there were the most violent contortions of the entire period of the exorcism since March 16th. Perhaps this was the fight to the finish. Father O'Flaherty of and the brothers were weary and sore physically from the exertion. After seven or eight minutes of violence, Roland, in a tone of complete relief, said, He's gone. Immediately after, Roland came back to normal and said he felt fine. So Michael came in, did his stuff, kicked them all out. <laughs> and Roland was able to explain completely with detail what he saw while this was occurring. Because, you know, you got to remember he's going to a spiritual place where he's actually physically seeing hell and all of the um, afterlife stuff. He said that there was a brilliant white light and then that light stood a very beautiful man with flowing wavy hair that blew in the breeze. He wore a white robe that was fitted close to his body. The material gave the impression of scales. Only the upper half of the body of the man was visible to Roland and his right hand held up a wavy and fiery sword in front of him. With his left hand he pointed down to a pit or cave. Roland said he saw the devil standing in the cave. Kind of a really cool image, but really scary, too, at the same time. Mm -hmm. Roland felt the heat from the cave and saw the flames. He said, at first the devil fought, resisting the angel and laughing diabolically. Then the angel smiled at Roland and spoke, but Roland only heard the word Dominus. As the angel spoke, the devil and about ten of his helpers ran back into the fire of the cave or pit. And he said, after the devil disappeared, the word spite appeared on the bars above the cave. As the devils disappeared into the pit, Roland felt a pulling or tugging in the region of his stomach. As the devils disappeared completely, he felt a snapping and then complete relaxation. So I'm guessing that's the point when the tie was severed. He said that this was the most relaxing feeling he had had since the whole experience began in January. It's a long three months for this poor kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long three months for anybody. my God. Roland related his visual experience at 11 p.m. This time was approximate to the time that the manifestations of the devil began in Cottage City, Maryland on the evening of January 15th, 1949. So very similar start and end time to the whole ordeal. After 12 midnight, Roland led another rosary and the fathers and brothers responded. He was composed and peaceful. Arrangements were made that Father Van Rue would say mass for Roland in the hospital chapel at 9.30 Tuesday morning. On Tuesday morning, morning, Roland was awakened from a heavy sleep and taken to the chapel where he attended the first Holy Mass since he became a Catholic. Isn't your first Mass as a Catholic like a really big deal?
1: Once, yeah, once you become one uh, after your first communion.
0: He also received Holy Communion at the altar rail without difficulty. And I think this was his first time being able to do that also. Roland promised to say 10 rosaries in thanksgiving to Our Lady of Fatima. Fatima. I now see there it goes again.
1: During <laughs> the course like of the
0: Fatima. day, Fatima's a name too. So. Since Monday at 11 p.m., there have been no indications of the presence of the devil. And this was all dated the Feast of St. Mark, April 25th, 1949. And then they went and did a little follow up in the diary, which is a few years later. On August 19th, of 1951, Roland and his father and mother visited the brothers. Roland was 16 at the time and considered by all accounts to be a fine young man. At that time, his father and mother had also became Catholic, because I would think this would make a very firm believer out of you, and they received their first Holy Communion on Christmas Day in 1950, and that is the end of the exorcism story, as told by Father Raymond Bishop, so thankfully it has a happy ending, and Roland is not living in a pit of fiery hell for the rest of his life. Kind of crazy, because the ending feels so
2: abrupt, you know, like, how... In depth and long, this journey and story was like so I could just kind of like, oh well, Saint Michael's here, we don't need anything
0: else. <laughs> yeah, we're done. And I always have to wonder too: if Saint Michael had the ability to do that, why didn't he step in and save the kid two months?
1: Oh, see, now you're just questioning God and His plan. That's where it gets interesting.
0: Well, and maybe the whole point was so that it would be such a sensational story that more people would be exposed to it, and more people would be drawn to the religion maybe
1: it brought at least three more people to the Catholic faith. So I know they did well there and you know, their kids were raised Catholic after that. So,
0: and Catholics like to have lots of kids. So that's kids what I hear. their kids and their kids and their, kids, and their <laughs> kids, lots and lots of kids, which is awesome. All right. So what are some things that you want to talk about now? Um, AJ, we talked a little bit about the, some of the things you told me to send you some questions oh, about the Catholic religion, which I have a lot of questions because <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not not religious, but um, I was raised Methodist and we didn't go to church a whole lot, so I I'm not completely ignorant to religious views, but the Catholic Church seems like a whole different, um, sorry, no pun intended, but pun intended, a different demon to me, <laughs> and um, just a different, beast yeah, so I. I more, Stuff. a lot of questions. So yeah. take it away, feel
1: free. Well, one of the questions that intrigued me the most was the, <clears throat> excuse me, the difference between minor exorcism and major exorcism um, when you ask that, because that's something that if you say the Our Father, you're actually participating in a minor exorcism. Um, at the end of the Our Father, um, it says, we, we do say, deliver us from evil, um, which is a minor rite of possession. It's a minor exorcism. Um, the Catholics, actually take that a step further during church when they actually say the Our Father out loud, the priest, instead of ending it, amen, he says, deliver us, Lord, from every evil and grant us peace in our days, and goes on and on. It's just also another minor rite of exorcism. For us to do a major rite of exorcism, I, I say us because I consider myself Catholic, not an exorcist by any means, but for a Catholic to do an actual exorcism, a major rite of exorcism, they actually have to have... A full health evaluation and psychiatric evaluation of the person thought to be possessed. Uh, because they've noticed that when you bring people in that are suffering from um, schizophrenia, bipolar, or sometimes even stuff like um, sugar emergency through diabetic, um, they can find physical reasons why the person is acting this way. Um, and they've actually diagnosed quite a few people with mental disorders versus actual possession, um, which has helped people get the help they need versus believing something they don't need to believe because it's a physical manifestation or a mental illness that they're going through. Um, But for them to get a full possession, uh, full exorcism, not only do they go through the physical and mental evaluation, they have to get um, permission from the Catholic Church, which led me to another question that you had. It's like, why do they have to get permission from the church to actually call in an exorcist? Um, it's the same reason the president has to get authorization to drop a nuclear bomb. You're calling in the big guns. This is when shit gets real and you're actually fighting the devil. As you, you read the last three episodes, this becomes you versus pure evil. And you need all the backup you can get when you get into stuff like that.
2: So I may be wrong, but the way that I've always understood it, like as far as priests getting permission um, to perform an exorcism, do they have to go like to the Vatican
1: They used to back in the day. I I imagine things have been streamlined greatly. Um, There was a statistic I looked up and it said in 2016, there were fewer than 15 um, certified exorcist priests. Now we're up over 100. Um, I don't know what's going on. Well, I have ideas of what's going on, but um, exorcism is becoming more common now, even since 2016, which is, you know, current, relatively current history. Um, It's being more recognized and it's being more done. So I imagine they have a way to streamline that, that they don't have to do it in person because all you're doing is leaving the person who is possessed, who you believe to be possessed, suffering while you're sitting there having a meeting with a bishop or a cardinal.
2: Right. So that when get uh, permission, that's who they're getting it from, like the higher-ups in their own church. Yeah,
1: exactly. Okay. You have to bring it in front of Holy Mother Church and they have to say yes. I, I don't know if it gets all the way to the Pope, um, but definitely one of the cardinals under him.
0: Interesting. And, and all these priest that like not any old priest can do the exorcism right
1: correct i mean you're you're basically going into battle with against evil this shouldn't be done by and you can see at the beginning of the story when they talked about uh i think a lutheran priest tried it Mm -hmm. and he was way out of his league he didn't he he could not do that it was just way above his um his knowledge base it's like me going in and and boxing against muhammad ali I, i would get my butt kicked Um, same thing's going to happen in this kind of spiritual warfare is you need a very strong priest trained in the tricks of the devil to be able to combat him and call upon St. Michael.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So is it usually just like, you might not know all the answers to these, but um, I'm assuming then it's usually like older, more seasoned priests who've been. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And that's why they depicted who they depicted in that film. Um, It's not going to be a priest straight out of the seminary. It's going to be a guy who's been around a while and and knows what evil is and has heard plenty of confessions and and all that stuff to be able to and they need to be pure they need to be an actual priest that doesn't have any for lack of a better term, skeletons in their closet because the devil is going to know that and is going to use it against them yeah let's see
0: here um were you able to find out how many exorcisms are done in the united
1: states so I, I focus on Catholicism versus exorcism because a lot of places will say they, are, they do exorcisms, but you never know what you're going to get as far as that. The Catholic Church does not keep record. It's the only thing they said is they do not keep record. Now, I mentioned earlier how we used to have 15, now we're up over 100 um, just in those short years alone. But they said that there was an interview with a priest near uh, Gary, Indiana, And he said he had over fourteen hundred requests for exorcisms. Doesn't mean he did fourteen hundred exorcisms. Maybe he got people the mental help or the physical help they need. But with that many requests, even if it's one percent, you know that's what ten exorcisms he's he's doing just in one small town in Indiana. So
2: that's where the demon house
1: is. Oh, look at you bringing in a past episode. episode If you have not heard that episode, I highly recommend it. It was one of the most entertaining ones. I don't know which one it is, but. Um, I think it's
0: it like is, six maybe. It is
1: a great episode. I really enjoyed that one.
0: Thanks. We had, we had fun with that. We're huge Ghost Adventures fans. So we <laughs> we like are to, too. We like to do follow-ups on Zach and things. So. Uh, so my, to my, something that you said earlier, um,
2: mm-hmm. what is your take on Ouija boards and why are you so adamantly against them, I
1: guess? Well, you're talking to a very unique, weird point of view, okay? So I'm Catholic, um, or at least I was. I kind of gave it up for Lent. And my wife (laughs) is very, very um, agnostic or atheist, or she believes there's a higher power. She doesn't understand or want to understand what it is, just that it's out there. And that's great. We did not get married in the Catholic Church. I don't attend Mass as much as I should, but it's still part of me, and, and she respects that, and I respect her point of view. But the one thing we definitely both agree on is there is a spiritual realm out there, that you can have access to, but you probably shouldn't if you don't know what you're doing. And in this case, the, the actual exorcism, the kid was hanging out with his aunt who was a spiritualist and she showed him what a Ouija board is without explaining the, the, the dynamic oh, of the, yeah. exactly what can actually happen. And in my personal belief, I don't have any proof of this, but my personal belief is he went to a Ouija board and he contacted what he thought was his aunt and it wasn't. And he said, sure, come on in, meaning come into my body, come into my spirit, come Mm -hmm. into my soul. And when you open that window, you don't know what crawls in and bad things crawled in. Um, If you talk to any police officer, I I can't think of a single police officer that doesn't have a a weird story out there, be it a haunting, a UFO or a what have you. Any good seasoned police officer that's been a a police officer more than a minute can tell you, well, something happened that was really strange, this shift. Um, every, every police officer goes through that and we tell our stories to each other and that kind of thing. And I know that there's a spiritual world out there and I don't want a window to it in my house.
2: That makes what, sense. What is your story? <laughs> your weird story?
1: <laughs> I got a couple of them. The weirdest one was, and it's a bit of a long story, but I'll, I'll, I'll condense it as much as possible. Um, person committed suicide in a house. Um, it was a corner house here in the town I live in and the house was empty. House lights were off. One midnight, no, it was around 2 a.m. Uh, near the witching hour, the 3 o'clock hour, and the lights were on in the house. And we got a call said, hey, somebody probably broke in and made sure all the you know, copper pipes were taken or whatever. So we go over there, and the neighbor, who happened to know the person, has a key to the house. He said, it's weird. All the lights turned on. Um, I have a key. Do you want me to just key you in? And we're like, sure, no problem. There's no Fourth Amendment violations or anything. We're just doing a check the welfare. So we go in the house, and he brings his two young uh, Uh, golden retrievers with them and they're both about a year old and they're jumping around the house having a good time Um, the person who committed suicide hung themselves in the bathroom well we could see the bathroom down this long hallway the all the lights are on the dogs are jumping around having a good time they both freeze in the middle of the hallway arch their back their hackles go up they look down into that bathroom start howling and then run out of the house and we're like that was that was weird um, and we look and the shower curtain just opens like suddenly, like somebody's swung it open real fast. And I was like, okay, it's either a strong wind or somebody's in there. So we draw our guns, me and this other guy named Sean, we draw our guns and try to clear the house and we find literally nothing in this house. Oh, no. So that was my spooky little ghost story.
0: Yeah, that's scary. You're expecting meth heads, and you got in there. Do you call
1: Methuselah? (laughs) Yeah, I'm pulling a gun on a ghost. Basically, is my story. You know, I'm going to shoot a ghost with a 40 caliber. It's not going to do anything. Yeah, right. What do you do? I I grabbed. I was actually holding Saint Michael in my between my thumb and my forefinger um, the whole time I was in there. After that,
2: I feel like it's always scarier too when like animals are involved because they have like no. Way of faking things or like having fake reactions. So anytime they're freaked out by something that like you can't really see, it's usually genuine. Mm -hmm. Like they have no reason to try to like dupe you into thinking that there's something in the bathroom.
1: And I think it's the beginning of conjuring. They actually play to that fact because the family moves into the haunted house and the dog won't come in the house. Yeah.
2: And yeah, even like in Amityville Horror,
0: like the dog is the one in the basement that's going crazy.
1: Yep.
2: Um,
0: I'll have to look it up, but you saying, like, every cop has a paranormal story. I think it's called Paranormal 911, and it's all first responders. So it's um, some EMTs and some cops and things telling all their stories. It's actually really, really good. But I'm not 100% sure that's the name of it, so I'll look it up and I'll let you know.
1: Sounds good. Put it in your next podcast and so everybody can know.
0: Yeah, it was was, – I've watched several episodes, and it's really entertaining because there's – I mean, you know, there's a lot of – people that don't want to look stupid. And um, there's lots of sharing, like inter department sharing and all these people have like the same experiences and it's pretty cool. I'm a big fan. All right. You already talked about the difference between the minor rite of exorcism and the major.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anything else we need to add there? Do you think you covered it pretty well?
1: I think that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. And then the um, one question that I have was because this did take like three months
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it was, do the rites of exorcism change based on the situation and like the severity of the case and things like that? And I believe you said, yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's going to depend on, I mean, do you even pull in relic? Do you need the relics there? Um, if it's a minor rite of exorcism and, and the, the, the demon goes away, then you're good to go. But if you need to pull in the big gun, so to speak, um, and pray more rosary and all that kind of thing, um, they're going to for what we use in our law enforcement, we're going to go where the investigation takes us. So they're going to respond how they need to respond. The priests, not the actual people being possessed to battle the devil as much as possible.
0: Yeah. I, um, so in this case, do you think that it was like Lucifer himself? Like it was Lucifer and a minion of demons or.
1: I think it was Lucifer and a whole bunch of his friends came. Um, I do have a quick story about the Alexian brothers church, if you want to hear it as far as, so this is kind of a St. Louis lore. We have no proof of this again, but I've heard it from so many different people, the exact same way. I have no doubt it's true. When they tore down that hospital, um, they did a normal implosion of a building, which is you dynamite certain things and it implodes in on itself. Well, when they set off the dynamite and the building imploded, um, one room stood standing. Now that room was actually this child's room and it had been sealed after the exorcism and no one was ever allowed to use that room. They say it was cold air coming from it. The cross on the door would randomly turn itself upside down. It was in theory a haunted spot uh, in that hospital and nobody liked to be on the fifth floor because of that. Well, in that room stood atop of the rubble intact in like you could see the door and everything um they took a wrecking ball and they didn't go through it hard they just went up and tapped the door and it exploded like dynamite was inside oh my gosh that's crazy so i don't know if that unleashed the devil back into st louis yeah i was wondering which could be explaining a lot of what st louis is going through right now but um yeah they said evil was still in that room and when they just barely touched the door with the wrecking i don't know how you barely touch it with a wrecking ball but um it exploded with more force than normally should have happened
0: it's scary and crazy. Is the Lexington Brothers Hospital, is it St. Louis University Hospital now?
1: Yeah, so it's the Slough Jesuits who are considered um, exorcists. Um, they are a, a uh, order of priests, the Slough Jesuits are, um, that can perform exorcisms.
0: Gotcha. We're going to have to take a trip. And then you sent me the address for the um,
1: I certainly house. did. You go enjoy. Uh,
0: yep. Yeah, I'm just going to do a little drive by um, I might have to go buy a St. Michael medallion or something <laughs> on my way, or at least one of those candles you can buy, or I can light the candle in my Jeep and go buy. So that
1: care. or a simple, a simple cross around your neck would suffice, I imagine.
0: I, I think that gentleman bought that a few years back because uh, they did the Dave Glover show, did their Halloween special from there a few years ago. And I, I remember think, that. I think he still lives, the guy still lives there, and I believe he says he's never had anything happen
1: still doesn't change the fact I don't want to go in there. If there was yeah. a, a no, crime like, in there and they said, French, go investigate that crime. I would say, here's my badge and gun. I'm walking yeah, away. i Yep.
2: I'm also not surprised that he hasn't experienced anything because it wasn't the house that was haunted. It was the person who was inside of it. Yeah. And it's not like when the rights of exorcism or the exorcism was successful that they were in that house. So it's not like it was like released into that mm-hmm. home. So I'm not also really true. surprised that nothing happened to him.
1: So Emma, would you then live there?
2: No,
0: probably not.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> a good answer.
0: Probably not. Even though she's still a little wishy washy on the um spiritual side of things. I don't
1: know. That answer really really uh showed some true colors.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I there's probably other factors outside of the fact that it was just the exorcist house. <laughs> probably wouldn't want to live somewhere where I'm like, yeah, this is the landmark known as the Saint Louis landmark known as the Exorcist House, and like try to have mm. friends over, and they're like, "Hell no, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going in there. I'm not entering that place."
1: Did the Ghost Adventures go there?
0: Um, uh, I don't think so. Some, I don't. Somebody did a live shot from there. I think it might have been Ghost Hunters. Uh the only thing I know of that they've done is Dave Glover, like we just said. I think Ghost Hunters might have gone there because I'm gonna
2: Google it real quick. I ended up not
0: watching it because. Sometimes those live shows, they do so much weird stuff in the middle oh. that it oh, no. me crazy. Oh, no. Those did go there. Did they go to
2: season eight, episode seven? Yeah. They went to the Exorcist house in St. Louis.
0: Mm-hmm. That's when Nick was still in the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Zach yelled at somebody to show their self, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't do. That's crazy. I'm
1: no, you don't address
0: haunting anybody.
1: So let's talk about the movie a little bit. Have you guys discussed... I know you're going to do a haunted movie segment, but this is one of the most haunted movies ever made.
0: Yeah, I know. It's super
2: cool. It, well, I'm actually not familiar with the... I know like the hauntings that surround the Poltergeist movie, but I'm not at all familiar with what happened with The Exorcist. So if you could talk about that a little
1: bit. There is an ungodly amount of weird information as far as this goes. Like, um, I think nine different people, including two major um, actors or actresses died either during or shortly after the movie was made. Um, The director was walking down the street one day and a priest came up and said, didn't even know the priest was coming to approach him. He's comes up to him and says, if you battle the devil, he will, you know, ruin your film. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Um, Little things like if you watch the actual movie um, with your Virgin Mary candles lit and your St. Michael around your neck, um, there is a, actor in there who plays a x-ray technician when she's going through her physical evaluation um who is a real life serial killer
0: oh my gosh yeah crazy
1: so talk about a crossover (laughs) so his name is paul bateson paul bateson b-a-t-e-s-o-n he was cast as an x-ray technician um and he was a real life serial killer Was he
0: actively serial killing people at that time?
1: Not at that time. I think it was like in the 70s when he decided to become a serial killer. So
0: so I wonder if he was in some way influenced by things on set.
1: And there was fires on set. There were um, weird, couldn't be explained. Um, Like one of the sets completely burned down except for the room that they were actually shooting the exorcist in. That room was intact and not messed up. Um, All kinds of just crazy stuff from that place.
0: That's very art imitates life on that one. Yep. Emma's looking up this um, serial killer.
2: Yeah, he—he's no longer in jail, which is terrifying. Oh no! Oh, that's wonderful. He was released on parole after serving twenty-four months and three, or twenty-four years
0: and three months for being a serial killer. He killed yeah one to seven people. That's crazy. <laughs> How do you get out of jail for that? <laughs> I don't understand. Yep.
2: Wow. That's terrifying. Yeah, right. apparently his, one of his aliases was Johnny Johnson.
0: Johnny Johnson, original. Classic. <laughs> Super original. Well, does anybody have anything else to add before we close out this episode?
2: No. It's been a long ride. Yeah,
0: it has. I did not expect it to be three hour long. Oh, two of them are over an hour long episodes. Yeah, at this point, our podcast is longer than the movie. Uh, but... <laughs> That diary was so interesting though, and I remembered it when I first came across it. Actually, one of our local news stations released it. Like, I don't know. It was the year that Dave it was, Glover. Did yeah, it say, was a long time yeah. ago, and um, I could not stop reading it. And I remember being at the time scared more so than even when I watched the movie because there's so many more details. And The Exorcist is a great movie, but I think it loses its shock value after you watch it the first time. And um, it doesn't really even scare me anymore. But this diary scared the hell out of me. And I think I read it like during my lunch hour for like three or four days in a row. And um, remember just being so terrified. So I wanted to definitely do The Exorcist, but do it this way and not just the totally Hollywood way, because I feel like real life is much scarier than anything Hollywood could ever come up with. I agree 100%. For sure. Okay. Well, if we are all feeling good about how we're leaving this, uh, thanks for joining us today, AJ. We really appreciated it. If there's anything else that you are super passionate about, um, share your ideas with me and we would love to have you back on again.
1: Well, thanks for letting me be your first uh, guest host. Yay. It was,
0: it was good. I um, was, like I said, I was nervous about it, but I think it worked really, really well. Uh, don't forget to like and follow us on your preferred listening platform. Leave a five star review or rating. I think you can only do that on Apple Podcasts, but I'm not familiar with every podcast thing. Uh, please share your stories with us via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com. Or you can go through Monsters and Mixers Podcast on Facebook. We will see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror.
2: Now get out there and meet some ghosts and make some toasts.